Hello, and welcome back to the Everyday Trainer Podcast. My name is Meg, and I am a dog trainer. On today's episode, I'm chatting all about reactivity and how we work through reactivity with all the dogs that come to us for training. So, you know the drill. Grab yourself a tasty drink and meet me back here. All right, so reactivity is one of those like trigger words that, uh, you know, if I ever talk about in the dog training community, there's always like a million people with a million different opinions on it and a million owners who struggle with reactive dogs. If you don't know what reactivity means, reactivity is really just your dog displaying some sort of explosive behavior due to a trigger and typically a barrier. So there's a difference between a dog that's like lunging and barking at the end of the leash and an aggressive dog, because sometimes that dog is lunging and barking at the end of the leash because there is a leash, because there's that extra barrier, that extra level of frustration So I have a previous episode where I talk about my personal experience with a reactive dog. So I, you know, took in a dog with a bite history. She's super reactive to people and cars and other dogs. And, you know, I put a lot of effort into training her and I learned so much, so, so, so much about, uh, you know, living with a behavioral dog like this. Now, obviously Gretchen is a pretty extreme case, but I'm super grateful that I did take her in because she's taught me more than I think any dog trainer could about, you know, behavioral dogs like that. And it also allows me to relate to, you know, a lot of the owners that we work with because probably about 90% of the dogs that come to me for training have some level of reactivity, whether they're, you know, barking at the fence nonstop, barking out the window, in the car, at the end of a leash. So if you haven't listened to my episode on Gretchen and, you know, a quick little explanation of reactivity in that episode, reactivity is simply just your dog having a explosive reaction to something. So it looks like your dog may be lunging and barking at the end of a leash or, you know, standing on top of the couch and barking out the window or uh, barking at the fence whenever you let them out, you know? So all of those are different forms of reactivity. So it's just that explosive behavior when there's some sort of barrier and, you know, most of the time trigger present. So your dog could be reactive to other dogs. They could be reactive to people. It could be due to a lot of different reasons as well. So sometimes dogs are reactive because they're overly excited. Uh, You know, we've conditioned them that every time they see another dog, they get to go and play with them by doing things like taking our dogs to dog parks or doggy daycares. You know, so when Our dog's only experience of other dogs or when the majority of their experience of other dogs is, you know, this super intense play, uh, this super intense interaction, then 
Our dogs have a big emotional response to seeing another dog. And if we take away their ability to run up and greet that other dog or greet that other person, we build a level of frustration. So the leash is a barrier. It builds a level of frustration for our dogs. So whether your dog is, you know, barking at the end of the leash because they want to go say hi to another dog or whether they want to, you know, like be mean and scary to keep another dog away, maybe because they're a little bit fearful. All those, you know, all of these things are different forms of reactivity. So when I work with dogs with reactivity, I don't too much worry about, I don't want to say I don't worry about like where it's coming from, but I'm just very like, you have to look at the situation and be like, okay, the dog is reactive. The dog is in this elevated state. I'm not super concerned necessarily like right away uh, what is causing that elevated state. I just have to look at, okay, this dog is in an elevated state. So whenever they see the trigger, right, um, I need to make it so that the dog is not (laughs) in this elevated state all the time because when they see the trigger, they explode when they're this elevated. I did not explain that very well at all, but basically we're just looking at like, this dog is highly aroused. I'm not too concerned with the why behind it. I just have to think, okay, my goal is to bring this dog down. They need to calm down. Uh, I need to work on reinforcing calm. I need to, you know, disrupt this super elevated state so that they don't continue to get into it. So the thing about behavioral change is these big emotional responses that your dog has, like that is very, very quick to become a habit. So when we have, same thing as us, when we have experiences that are associated with like really intense feelings, it's like, easier to get addicted to that behavior or, you know, things with strong emotions and strong feelings uh, create habits much faster. So reactivity, if it's allowed to continue, it just, it's not going to stop itself. So I'm going to kind of walk you through like the three different stages of reactivity training and keep in mind, (laughs) I... I like to keep things super digestible for people. I like to think I I keep things as simple as possible because I think so often in the dog training world, like everything gets just like way too overcomplicated and it really just does not need to be that complicated. So I'm really going to like dumb all of this down just because this is kind of how I digest information and what I've found is the best way to explain things or like explain our methods uh, to just, you know, the everyday person. I'm not real big on using like dog trainer lingo or saying, you know, we're not going to talk about like thresholds with dogs. You know, that's just not the type of dog trainer that I am. But do know that the knowledge that I'm going to share with you is coming from a place of experience. I work with a lot of owners and dogs that struggle with reactivity. Most of our clients struggle with some form of reactivity. And another thing to keep in mind is a lot of my clients and owners that I worked with, I've worked, I've, I continue to see these dogs. I continue to, you know, know the owners and know what they're willing to keep up with and also know what, you know, 
produces the longest lasting behavioral change in the dog, if that makes sense. So I have three different stages of working through reactivity. Uh, The first stage is the teaching stage. So we're teaching a language and a set of skills. This is often what you think of when you think of dog training, the teaching phase, where we're teaching the dog, you know, marker words and what the leash means and basic obedience skills, you know, like heel, sit, down, all of the all of these things are skills that we can use to navigate behavioral issues with our dogs. These skills don't change our dog's behavior in itself. You have to apply these skills to, you know, different situations and things like that to be able to actually do behavioral change. So there's a big difference between like behavioral modification. Behavioral modification is when you're taking, you know, unwanted behaviors and you're changing them in the sense of dog training. Whereas like when somebody says dog training, I think of like the teaching phase of things, right? So we're teaching a dog heel or we're teaching a dog down. We're teaching the dog what leash pressure is and how to turn it off. That is super valuable, um, but it's not that like real world stuff. It's not, you know, working through reactivity in itself. It's not working through aggression in itself. It's just kind of like a tool in our tool belt that we can use to paint a really clear picture for our dog of what we expect of them. So the teaching phase is when we're getting our dog working for their food, right? We're teaching them when you feel the leash and it turns off, come back to me, get your food reward feel the leash, turns off, come back to me, get your food reward, right? That's us teaching the leash. Um, Teaching a sit. We could lure our dogs into a sit. Use your marker word. Good. Yes. No. You know, like we're using all of our languages to teach our dogs this set of skills, basically. So let's say I have a real severe behavioral dog. So for example, when I took Gretchen in, she's my, you know, (laughs) pre-human aggressive German shepherd. When I took her in, am I going to get this dog working for food when I don't even feel entirely safe handling her, right? So like, what's the best way for me to approach training this dog in a, in a way that's safe? I'm not going to throw food into the picture. If you have a dog who likes to work for their food and you know that's like a safe thing for you food is like that's the thing that we want to use in this stage in the teaching phase we want to you know shape the behaviors the best way that we can using that positive reinforcement using that thing that motivates your dog so this is typically when we get the dogs working for their meals especially with a behavioral dog, I really like to have all of the food come from those training sessions. I need to be the most valuable thing to the dog. I need the dog to really want to work for that food. Having a really strong like motivation for that dog is going to be really helpful in working through reactivity. However, if you have a dog like Gretchen, it's not always the best 
thing to do right away. Not to say that you can't get the dog working for food later on in later stages, which I'll also talk about. Um, But sometimes in the beginning, you have dogs that are just real behavioral cases and sometimes mixing food into those situations right away isn't always the best. So we've taught our skills. The most important one for me in working through activity is a solid loose lead walk and an understanding of the heel position. So with really reactive dogs, I like to be really strict about the heel position because then I have a dog who is just focused on that right? When the dog is focused on staying in heel, they're less focused on the environment. So I know when a dog checks out from me mentally, when they are drifting ahead of me in the heel position. So what's going to happen if this dog drifts, you know, just a little bit out in front of me, right? They're focused on the environment. And when they're focused on the environment, as soon as they see a trigger, they're going to start loading up on that trigger, right? Because their their focus and attention is there. It's unbroken and it's just going to keep loading and loading and loading. However, if I have a dog who is so focused on staying in heel with me, I can change up my pace. I can do some directional changes. And that dog is going to be so busy paying attention to me and where I'm going that they're not going to be able to fixate and load up on their trigger. So reactive dogs are loading. You know, they see a trigger. I tell my owners, you'll see the ears go forward. Sometimes their head will dip down a little bit. Some dogs can handle looking at the trigger and not reacting. Some dogs, they rubberneck, right? So when there's an accident on the side of the road, you're not going to put other people in danger, right? Because you're so fixated on seeing what happened, you know, that you're rubbernecking. You can look at the accident, but you always need to bring your attention back to the road, So it's the same thing with our dogs. So you can look at it, but as long as you bring your attention back to me, I know you're not loading up and I know you're not going to have this big explosive reaction to the trigger. Where dogs, you know, continue to be reactive is we're not disrupting them um, before they have the explosive reaction. So if your dog is just a little bit too fixated on another dog or another person, and you know that they have a history of reactivity, I'm going to disrupt you staring at that person or staring at that dog, you know, a couple seconds into you doing it. Because if you're staring at something for longer than a couple seconds, I know you're not paying attention to me in heel. And I know you're going to continue staring just like somebody who is rubbernecking down the highway with the accident on the side of the road, right? They don't need to be staring at that for more than a couple seconds. It's the same thing with your dogs. So that's where I go into correcting the intention. So I talk about correcting the intention a lot on my socials and I talk about it a lot with my owners and my trainers. I am preemptively uh, correcting my dog when they are looking and loading at a trigger for too long. Now, when I say correction, the dog is going to determine what this is. For me personally, a correction is just enough to pull the dog out of fixating on that, right? 
So if you, let's say, give your dog a pop on the leash and they're still continuing to fixate and you're not breaking that fixation, that pop on the leash is then just kind of reinforcing that behavior because it didn't stop it. Um, So you need to disrupt that fixation before it ever even happens. Um, You can do this with a lot of different things. If you have a really strong marker word, so we can teach our dogs that yes equals food. Yes equals food, kind of like a clicker. When our dog looks at the trigger but doesn't react, we can say yes. What happens? They break their fixation, look to you for their food reward. That only works if you have a dog that's, you know, food motivated and you've really worked at loading that marker word, which is why this is not typically the advice that I give a majority of owners that work with us, because I found that that is very, very hard to do, um, just in the sense that not a lot of people have dogs that are that uh, food motivated, maybe the trigger, you know, barking at the trigger is more reinforcing to it than the food. Um, and it's also really tough for timing with the owners. Just, you know, they see their dog loading. What happens? They get nervous. They're like, okay, I need to give my marker word. I need to grab my food. Like it's just kind of a lot going on. And I like to keep things super simple because that has you know, proven to be the most helpful for owners and dogs. So that is one way that you could, you know, work through and disrupt that loading up on the trigger. Uh, That's not mostly what I do. What I do is I teach the dog what the leash means. And so I teach them when you feel the leash, pay attention to me. Kind of like how our clicker is, right? Only instead it's a physical sensation. The reason I like to use physical sensations when communicating to dogs is because dogs don't predominantly communicate verbally. So that's not always the best method to communicate to them. So if they're already fixated and loading up on something and, you know, verbal cues is not like the most natural way that a dog receives communication, it's it's honestly one of the first things to go. I tell people like, When your dog is fixated on something, whether it's a squirrel or whatever it is, like they're just going to blow off your verbal command. And that's why I'm real big on just like using the leash to do your talking. So if you've taught your dog what the leash means, there should be no pressure on the leash except for when we want to communicate, right? Which is why I emphasize that loose lead walk so much, especially with reactive dogs, because I need to be able to use my leash in those moments to communicate to the dog, hey, I see what you're doing. I need you to bring your attention back over to me because I know what happens if you continue to load on this, right? So I teach the dog what leash pressure means in that first stage, right? That teaching phase, that that phase that we see, you know, everywhere on social media and dog trainers talking about is the teaching phase, which is great and fine and dandy, but it's not going to be super helpful in working through that behavior. So we're in the stopping the behavior phase, right? We need to stop the behavior. If your dog continues to practice being reactive, it's just, they're just getting better at it, right? So the longer they continue anything, uh, you know, they're just getting more reps in, they're getting better at being reactive. So we need to stop that behavior. So I like to use it with the leash. The dog is going to tell you 
what amount of pressure works with that. My biggest emphasis here is you do not want constant pressure on the leash. If you can control that. Sometimes I do have to do constant pressure on the leash. Let's say I'm in a close situation and a dog lunges and goes. I'm going to apply constant pressure just so that dog doesn't, you know, move out of this little bubble next to me, right? So just for like the safety of everybody involved, I'm going to hold a very short, tight leash. Let's say if the dog has already exploded and I haven't disrupt, you know, prior, I haven't corrected the intention. So that's kind of one of those moments where it's like, whoop, we missed our opportunity. We had a big reaction. I'm just going to control it for now. Um, But ideally we have our dog, you know, in this heel, we're walking, let's say your dog is staring at another trigger, you know what's going to happen, right? You know that your dog is reactive. So I want you to correct the intention. So you see that they're lingering on that thing a little bit too long. We're going to give our dog a pop on the leash, enough to pull their attention away from whatever it is they're fixating on. If they look to you and if they're willing to take food, good, and we'll reward that. Um, if you have a dog who does not want to take food, do not try to bribe them. In I, I mean, don't try to reward them in those situations, right? Because um, sometimes I'll just see people be like, hey, 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 you know, and they're like trying to get their dog to take food and you're just kind of like amping up the situation. You know, we know that reactivity is because your dog is just in this super elevated state. So make sure that you're not adding more emotions to that state when your dog is in it. You need to be nice and calm and as neutral as possible because you need to act how you want your dog to act, right? And we need reactive dogs to be neutral. I don't need you to love, you know, walking past other dogs. I don't need that to be the best thing in the world. I just need you to be neutral to it. That's it. That's all I'm asking for. So that's how I disrupt the reactivity is I'm correcting the intention most of the time using leash. Um, some dogs we do slip leads with, some, di- so, d- bleh, words. some dogs we do prong collars with, um, some dogs I'll correct with an e-collar. I will say um, if I had my pick, I would just use a leash pop. Um, I don't really have like a great explanation. A lot of times I like to use e-collars for owners because it's a lot easier to press a button than it is to properly pop a leash. Um, So when I say pop a leash, it's just a quick like tug and release. There's, you're not guiding the dog in any direction. You're just kind of like popping the leash really quickly. So it's just like an elbow nudge, right? Of like, Hey, I see you about to do this thing. You need, you need to knock that off, right? Like just a quick little tug. Um, I find that, you know, pressing a button is a lot easier for a lot of owners. Um, so when they see their dog loading, they can tap on the e-collar. Um, be mindful of tapping too much. You don't want to go tap, 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 tap. You don't want to go really fast with your tapping. That is not how you should disrupt reactivity. You should not press and hold your e-collar. I kind of take the approach of I'm going to tap at the e-collar at a high enough level that it breaks the dog out of that fixation. If it doesn't, I'm most likely not going to use my e-collar. I'm going to use things like directional changes or pops on the leash. So a directional change is like we're walking, walking, walking. The dog starts loading. Let's say I give him a pop on the leash and it's not enough to really 
you know, get him out of fixating. I'm going to do a 180 and I'm going to turn around and start walking the other direction. Take a few steps. The dog's going to be like, whoa, what are we doing? When they pay attention to you, we're going to change directions again. They're going to be like, whoa, okay. A little more fixated on you instead of the other dog because you're changing directions. So your dog's going to be like, all right, I guess I got to pay attention to this lady because she keeps changing directions on me every time I stop paying attention to her, right? Um, So you can do that as a way to kind of get your dog's attention on you. I don't recommend having your dog sit. Um, I don't recommend, you know, trying to get your dog to look at you and, you know, giving some sort of command for eye contact or something like that. Um, Just because the sitting, um, your dog shouldn't be sitting still and loading up on the trigger. Um, That just, you know, can create more frustration towards whatever it is. And then, um, the whole eye contact thing, like trying to force eye contact in that moment, I think it can just be a little bit useless sometimes. Um, and I see people try to be like, Hey, 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 look at me, look at me, you know? And it just like, again, adds a little more chaos to your dog's already elevated state. So that's not something that I recommend to people. I like to keep it super simple. We're going to integrate some directional changes and we're also going to, you know, utilize our leash. That's why teaching leash pressure is so important, especially in the beginning of training, because I need the dog to understand that the leash means you pay attention to me. Like you have to pay attention to me whenever you feel the leash, there cannot be constant pressure on the leash. That is the name of the game is no pressure on the leash unless I'm trying to communicate something to you. So let's say we're going for a walk and I want my dog to come to a sit whenever I come to a stop, right? They don't necessarily know how to do that. We can teach them using the leash. We can teach them with food. So you're walking, there's no pressure on the leash at all. And then we come to a stop and you say, sit, leash pressure goes on we guide them back and then it goes off once they're in the sit. So we used our leash pressure in that sense to, you know, show our dogs what we wanted them to do, but it's not constantly on, right? So the leash on means, hey, pay attention to me, follow this guidance. Um, I'm going to give you instructions on what I want you to do right now. So I like building a foundation of, you know, leash pressure, marker words, basic obedience skills. And if we're doing e-collar with the dog, we'll also teach the dog, you know, e-collar first before we take them out around all of these triggers and start, um, you know, testing them around these things. And that's another really big part is I think uh, often people will be really slow with this process. And as long as you've taught your dog the basic skills and foundational stuff. As long as your dog understands what heel means and what the leash means and what your marker words are and what the expectation is, like you can hold them to that. So this second stage of stopping the behavior, you know, correcting the intention, holding your dog accountable to the heel position, all of that is part of stopping the behavior. And this is the stage that people skip. So they'll actually skip this over and go to the third stage, which for me is building new feelings and experiences around the trigger. So people will teach the language, they'll teach the skills, basic obedience, all of this stuff. And then they'll just try to focus on building new feelings around the trigger, which isn't the end of the world. That's not like the worst thing to do, but they'll still 
have a dog that is reacting and they're unable to stop it. That's the biggest issue is you're unable to stop it. You're incapable of stopping it or you're not stopping it. You're not disrupting it. And so the dog is just going to continue to do it. Like you have to be able to stop that behavior because it's so self-reinforcing. Barking is fun for dogs. Like being in that really high elevated emotional state, like that is, that's going to be tough to break because your dog does have like these really big feelings to it. So they're just going to keep doing it. Every time your dog is reactive, like you're just continuing to practice that behavior. And yes, we want to be able to build new emotions to these triggers, but it is very, very valuable to also tell your dog that they don't have to have these big explosive moments. They don't have to, you know, do this. It's okay to tell them no in that situation. It really brings them down. I think personally, it's unfair to allow a dog to continue to be reactive because it's so self-reinforcing. They get caught in this like loop and it's like, if you were spiraling and no one stepped in to help you, like they just stood back and watched you spiral. Like that's what I feel like with so many of these dogs is like they are just spiraling and nobody has told them no, like nobody has made it uncomfortable for them to keep doing this thing. And so they just keep doing it and they just keep doing it and keep doing it. And they're just living their lives in this like super reactive, like anxious state. And it's honestly like so sad to see. And so many people are scared to talk about like the value in telling our dogs no and correcting our dogs, but they need it and they crave it. They genuinely crave it. The dogs that come to me for training are like so attached to me and my trainers because Like we give them the leadership and the guidance that they need. They've been craving. And a lot of times these like really anxious, nervy, reactive dogs that I get, it doesn't take a lot, like a few reps of telling them no when they're, you know, before they're being explosive and they're like, thank God, you know, like (laughs) there's, there's a sense of relief there. So Don't be afraid to tell your dog no. If you're struggling, if you have a reactive dog, like it's an emotional experience for everybody. And the sooner you can get past that, the better your life is going to be, the better your dog's life is going to be. And I see so many dogs get rehomed because of something like reactivity that it just, it breaks my heart because if somebody just came in and like told that dog no, a couple times, gave it a correction before it, you know, had these big explosive reactions, you know, obviously put in all of that foundational work, but there's so much value in telling your dog no. And I see that. And I have a lot of dogs that I've worked through reactivity this way and they're still thriving. So the third step is, you know, creating new feelings and experiences around this trigger. So what does that look like? So for example, I had a really good training session today uh, with our board and trains. They're 
you know, two pointy eared dogs that are reactive. (laughs) So we took them to a pretty busy area. Now, mind you, this is towards the end of training. So we've done a lot of work with them out around my neighborhood. We've taken them on field trips, taken them to restaurants, but we really wanted to test their skills. So we took them to a place where we knew there would be a lot of dogs and a lot of people around them. So we've built the foundations up. Uh, The dogs understand what leash pressure means. They've been, you know, we've given them a pop on the leash for fixating on things and have been able to disrupt it. Um, But we took them out and we tested their skills today. And we had a few explosive moments. Well, just one explosive moment per dog. Um, So for me, it was like, I don't know. It was, it was a lot. Like we... It was really, really busy. I was very impressed by them. But anyways, so, you know, in those moments, it's kind of like, well, missed, missed opportunity. That's okay. We were able to disrupt a lot of reactive moments that probably would have happened if we didn't disrupt them. Um, But anyways, so I, you know, we do that with the dogs. We walk them around at the end of this, like outing with them. I want to do something fun, right? So we went for a structured walk. We worked on, you know, not being reactive to dogs and people. Then we go out into the field and let's just run through some obedience, right? These dogs love to do obedience because that's when we get them, you know, pumped up. We're working for their food. Um, they, They like it. We're engaged with them. It's like a fun training session for them. So we're still around the triggers, right? we're still out in the park, but we're in a field. We're a little bit further away. So the dogs can, you know, relax a little bit and we get them working for their food. We run around, we use our squeaky voices. We, you know, have fun with the dogs, make it a good experience. I always like to end training sessions or outings with something like that, where the dog can just kind of, you know, decompress and relax and be a dog. We get them working for their food. They love it. It's great. So that is how I'm going to build up these new feelings to being around the triggers, right? So, you know, we walked really closely around the triggers. You did good. You still had a moment, you know, so we're going to hang out over here. I'm going to do this fun thing that you like to do. And we're going to be by the triggers and we can gradually, you know, work closer to it. But we're building up the experience of you playing with your dog, you training your dog, you doing something fun with your dog. You you could literally just be running around a field and your dog is just like following you around. Um, whatever it is that they like to do and that's rewarding, do that around the things that set your dog off. And if you need to create distance, create some distance, create enough distance that, you know, the dog isn't having moments where they're fixating on those triggers or where you find yourself having to disrupt. But I do think you need both. You do need to put your dog in situations where you can tell them no, right? So we started by walking around in a structured you know, structured walk with the dog and heel or really closely to all of these triggers. And then when I'm building up this positive experience, this like good experience around these things, I'm going to, you know, do it in a way where I know you won't be reactive. I'm going to create some distance. I'm going to, you know, set you up for success in that sense. So I like to make sure that we can stop the behavior first 
And then we can work on doing that. I think um, in just like the dog trainer world or maybe just like social media, I really have no idea what's real anymore. It's the opposite way. Or you don't ever tell your dog no, or you don't ever correct them, or you don't ever put them in situations that would cause them to be reactive. If your dog is having a problem, like I like to go through it, (laughs) you know, like I don't want to run away from the problem. I don't want to take years trying to, you know, work through this reactivity, like when it, it just doesn't have to be that way. Um, so I kind of also talk about it. It can be kind of, Uh, negative to your relationship if you continually allow your dog to be reactive in your hands. If you're holding that leash and your dog is being reactive with you, it really does affect your relationship with them. Um, You have to really step in in those moments and say, hey, I cannot allow you to do this. I have a set of rules. You know, you have to follow these rules. That's one of my rules. So for me, my rule is like, you cannot explode it. People are dogs. Like you just cannot do that. Like I'm going to make sure you, you don't do that. You just, you cannot, uh, you cannot bark in my house. Like all the dogs cannot be barking in the house. That's a rule that we cannot break. Sometimes you have to step in and tell your dog no. And when I'm saying tell your dog no, like it could be as simple as a firm no. It could be just a quick little pop on the leash. It could be a tap on a six at the e-collar. You know, it, we're not adding our own emotions to it. We're not using excessive force. It's very clear communication. So long as you have, you know, taken the time in stage one and built up those skills and built up that language. That's the whole point of dog training is we're creating this language so you can create a clear picture for the dog of what you expect of them. And I think part of that picture is telling your dog no. Now, I know that I've, you know, kind of talked a lot about (laughs) correcting dogs, but the reason why I talk so much about this is because day in and day out, I work with owners and I talk with owners and this is what they're struggling with. They're really good at teaching things. They're really good at the teaching phase. Their dogs know all the skills. They know heal. People struggle stopping the behaviors. Truly. So that is where a lot of my, the knowledge that I share is coming from is this is just what I'm seeing working with, you know, the owners around me is that is what they're struggling with. I'm giving them permission basically to tell their dog no. And a lot of times it just takes, you know, a couple times and the dog is like, oh, okay, I understand the picture. Just like how we, you know, use food to reinforce what we want to see more of, we're painting a picture of, hey, when you sit, when I stop, I like that. So I'm going to reinforce that, right? That's super valuable. Same thing with knowing what not to do. So when you go and, you know, take a test of some sort, you get your results back and you know what you didn't get right. And that information is valuable. We learn from that information and it's the same way to our dogs. So I'm really big on trying to communicate with our dogs in a way that's kind of like the most natural way possible. And maybe natural isn't (laughs) the best word to explain that. You know, dogs communicate through pressure. They don't communicate through 
you know, talking to each other all day and, you know, like food exchanges. So I think there's valuable, there's some value in uh, communicating your dog, communicating with your dog using the leash and using, you know, physical pressure, spatial pressure as a way to be like, hey, I don't like that. So that is really my oversimplified approach of working through reactivity. I (laughs) hope that uh, if you do have a reactive dog, this has provided you some sort of insight into the dog trainer mind of working with these dogs. And, you know, maybe you can uh, start working through that reactivity for yourself. But I do also think that it's important to recognize that not all dogs are fixable, right? You're not going to turn every single dog into a perfect dog. So I still struggle with reactivity with Gretchen. I can't always take her out in new situations because she will lunge. The other day I took her out and the road was super busy that day and she was, you know, being reactive towards the cars and I wasn't able to disrupt her. So I'm not saying that, you know, every dog can be fixed using these methods. I think genetics play a huge role. I think previous experience plays a huge role in whether your dog can, you know, overcome reactivity or not. Um, But this is just kind of, you know, my methods for a lot of the dogs that have come to us for training. And, you know, sometimes there is a lot of management on the owner's end and on, you know, our end. Sometimes we do always have to have our e-collars on or have, our prong collars on or food on us or whatever it may be. So yeah, if you struggle with reactivity, just know that you're not alone. If you're able to reach out to a professional trainer in your area that can help you do more, you know, in-person stuff and really read your dog. This is just very general information, you know, about lots of dogs that I've worked with and the things that I've kind of picked up on over my years of being a trainer. So as always, thank you so much for being here. I hope you got a little bit of insight from this episode and uh, yeah, we will see you back here next week.